everybody sound good in their heads? Yeah. We're all okay with the volume. Never. <laughs> okay, minus your like normal. I screaming. kept thinking we could talk about it this episode, but I keep thinking about that, and I'm just so aware now of my internal monologue because I, I don't know, I just I can't with myself. <laughs> you got it. <laughs> modern problems require modern solutions. Ow. You okay? Just, yeah, I pulled my. I hit the bump on my head. Okay. Okay, are we ready? Yeah, I started recording like two minutes ago. Okay. Alrighty, everybody. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode. We have Noah again, the host of Only Kings podcast, and he is laughing right now. <laughs> We're just so funny. We are yes. hilarious. Thank but, you for having me back. Yes. But today we wanted to um, talk a little bit more about men's mental health and all that good stuff and give you guys a different perspective. So I know last episode we were talking a little bit about how you went to therapy and all of that good stuff. So can you talk a little bit more about how it was making that decision to actually go to therapy and finding a therapist and your experience and what you learned? Oh, yeah. Okay. We'll start with that. Mm -hmm. All right. The fun conversation. (laughs) All right. Uh, well, first of all, I want to give, I put this on mute, and then I can type questions. That's okay. fine. Um, I want to give props to you guys. This is, this is the way, not to give away too much insider baseball, but uh, we had a conversation that you guys prompted, and I appreciate the honesty. Basically, we kind of talked about what we're going to talk about today at the tail end of the last episode, but because it was later in the night, I was trying to pack in all my uh, ideas. I basically started a lot of ideas without really putting a finish on them. And then uh, you guys had felt that you didn't do your due diligence as host to go back and forth. So instead of completely cutting it out and saying, oh, yeah, we lost the audio or you know, whatever it is. There's an stupid lie. Yeah, you say, hey, this is how we feel. How do you feel? And then we had a conversation about it in like two seconds. It was an easy yes. Um, that's the way you do it. So for anyone listening that's like either wants to start something like a podcast, currently does one, or basically does anything where they're publishing other people's ideas, under your brand, that's how you handle things. A real conversation. It sounds it sounds very counterintuitive because of what you guys do. Like obviously they should know to do that, but people are dicks. Yeah. And people are more concerned with uh, not like, starting conflict when it could just be a conversation. Not yeah. it's not starting conflict for sure, but then it's like, oh my brand, my this, my that what happens if personally and as we just saw from a reel that I showed you guys, negative feedback tends to help you. Because if you look at all of the, like, there was like 80-something comments, right? How many likes were there? There was like 10 times, I think. Mm-hmm. Like, to 8 or 10 times. And then there was a bunch more of, like, the shares and the saves and all that shit. So, the positive tends that way. The negative, the positive doesn't speak up. Because they're like, oh, I like that. Move on. So, mm-hmm. but yeah, I like the way you guys did it. So, well, that's you. a very, very good way to go about it. We appreciate it. Um, but to answer the original question about the therapy. So... I originally started going to therapy for the first time. It wasn't really even therapy. I just wanted somebody to talk to, to and I didn't care if it was like a shrink or, or a like a religious person or because I'm Christian myself. But this was back in 2019, probably 18 around there. It was it was right before I deployed, and. Um, or no, 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 I'm sorry. This was 2017 because it was right before I went to basic training. And I had <clears throat> I had just gotten out of an engagement. 
uh, got my own place for the first time. Then I started decided to join the military. So I was like, what the fuck? I feel like there's a lot happening right now. And my 20 year old brain did not process it. So I went to therapy and it, or I went to see this guy like two times, super nice dude, very well articulated. And I'm sure I can't remember half the stuff he told me, but I'm sure it was really good because things turned out better than they started. Right. Get back from basic training in 18, uh, like April of 2018. Um, didn't, I don't think I ever touched therapy again, no, until, fuck, maybe like a month or so before I left for basic training, I went and saw somebody, yeah. like, hey, I'm going to this, I don't what I think about it, it was, I think it was actually the same guy, it's so long ago, yeah, it was the same guy, but then when I regularly started going to therapy was, uh, without getting the minutiae of it, a bunch of bullshit went down um, during my deployment, Went and saw behavioral health overseas. Continued to see behavioral health in the VA, which wasn't it wasn't horrible. It wasn't the best, and it's it wasn't. And people like to talk to you about the VA, right? Um, in New Mexico, we actually have a pretty decent VA. It's just mm-hmm. the system is so bogged down, mm-hmm. and there's just not enough people, and there will never be enough people to work those jobs. Um, whether it's primary care providers or it's uh, psychologists, there's never going to be enough people. So. I think New Mexico is the best case scenario with all the other governmental systems that suck here. The people are great, it's just the system and the the lack of Mm -hmm. people. Um, But I saw counseling through the VA and I just got sick of it so I quit. Um, And then I started seeing, (coughs) I started seeing a shrink again. What is it, a shrink? That's just like short term for okay. for psychologists. That's okay. how I. That's like. I was like, am I? Okay, yeah, just, that's, that's, that's that's what I've heard it called. Like okay. short term. Like I started seeing a because like a therapist is somebody who just get like licensed and shit. Mm-hmm. But then a psychologist, like an actual like person, like a medical degree, to, to my knowledge. And I think one of the main differences too is that psychologists can give um, prescriptions for medications, yeah. and therapists okay. cannot. You need your mic higher. This thingy, if you mess with that little oh. doohickey, and then raise oh, yeah, it up. Right. Right. Yeah, lefty Lucy. I'm creating so much white noise. It's fine. Okay. You know <laughs> what I mean? Like, well, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. Okay. So there we go. Okay. Um, yeah, August of twenty twenty-two. Because we're in twenty-three right now. Uh yeah, so August of 22, like the middle of August, uh, me and my girlfriend split, and I had some real issues going on, and I was like, okay, I need to fucking figure this shit out, too, because I thought I was a lot more mature than I actually am, and uh, so I went to strength for that, um, and he was great. Um, it was funny because I kind of felt the need for therapy kind of fizzling out. Because it turned from, okay, I have, like, actual things going on that I need to work through and I need to, like, have guidance on, more or less. Because mm-hmm. for people who've never been to therapy, like, or to seen a psychologist, a good psychologist, in my opinion, or a good therapist, anyone filling that professional that's filling that void, that need for help and guidance, they don't give you answers. Like, they don't tell you what to do. They just help you walk through your own thought process, and then you come to the answer on your own. That's the whole point. They're not supposed to be like, hey, 
here's the guidebook on how to not be a shitty human being. And they just give it to you and you read it every day and then you just, you know, I don't know. Don't drink and drive shit. Whatever your issue is, right? It was my issue, but whatever. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, so I kind of started feeling that need fizzling away because it was less of, okay, I have things I need to work through. I don't know what to do or I don't know how to digest these thoughts or whatever it is. It, it, it changed from that to, like, I felt like I was complaining. Mm. And so, what we were talking about before we started recording, uh, around, like, July, I think, I literally, like, yeah, I, now, thank God I wasn't, like, pouring out my heart or something, because I definitely wasn't. I forgot what we were talking about, so it must have been that boring. But the motherfucker fell asleep during the session. Like, and now, look, he's, like, an older guy. Like, he was, like, 65 68, but like sharp as a tag, right? Except for that day, apparently. Nice dude, and he just like, he's just there. Just at the, uh, was it in person or was it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it. Oh, I should, I guess I should clarify. Yeah, it was in person. Because I can imagine if it was online and it's like you have a long day, you're on Zoom all day, but it's like you're in person and you're going to fall in front of someone. So, <laughs> like maybe they won't notice this, and then he's like, <laughs> did he wear glasses? Huh? No, I don't know. Y- yeah, yes. Maybe he thought that like the light was hitting the glasses that was blocking his eyes, so you couldn't see they were closed. <laughs> I mean, regardless of his thought process, it's not okay to fall asleep on people yeah. when they come to you for help. So, so don't so, do that. <laughs> yes. So, um, yeah, I was trying to think of a joke for that. I just put my mind just blanked. Um, uh, my mind's blanked right now. Uh, I took like a few hits too many. There's a glitch in the matrix. Yeah, give me like 15 minutes, my brain will clear up. But what happened, oh yeah, so what happened was he was sitting there and um, and I like watched him. Like, I was like, I watched him like go under the anesthesia of his own mind. You know what I mean? And like, as he sat there like doing the this thing and he's falling asleep, I was, I didn't, I, I didn't like raise my voice. I just kind of spoke, right? I was like, you kept speaking? No, no, because I paused. No, I stopped talking and I like watched and then I was like, long day, huh? Does it fucking move? Does, am I back? Am I there? Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah. Okay, yeah. Doesn't move. Doesn't move at all. Mm. And then I'm like, no shit. And I wanted to fuck with the guy. Like, like draw the, a dick on his face or like. No, no. I, you know, I wanted to like look through his, I, I, like, I didn't know how to end that joke, right? Mm-hmm. That was on the, on Wednesday. But, uh, yeah, like, a part of me really didn't want to, like, check his notes to, like, see what he was writing about me or, like, because he had, like, a little notepad of notes, but then he had, like, a bigger thing on his computer, but his computer never locked, mm-hmm. and it, it was still open. It's just, uh, like, little doodles. Yeah. Well, it's, like, I, I thought of, uh, you see Freaky Friday with Jamie Lee yeah. and yeah. Lindsay Lohan, where they switch, she's just drawing all the, like, the punk shit. Yeah, anyway. Um, no, a part of me wanted to get a Sharpie and, like, draw a huge dick on his notepad. You know. And him like wake up and be like, when did I do this? Super confused. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I'm projecting on this guy. <laughs> anyway, um, but no, I was like, no shit, like this dude's asleep. And a part of me wanted to be. I think the biggest asshole move that I could have done is just left and left him sleeping. Because I think I just left him sleeping because then I either would have gone and told the receptionist or like he would have gotten mm. woken up by a reception. Yeah. That's the most fucked up thing to do, I think. You should have just taken a nap with him. So, just cuddle up. Like on the couch, take a nap. Like this does sound nice. <laughs> this is therapy. Your grandfatherly never sponsored you. So oh my God. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, so 
Uh, but no, so I, I was like, no shit. So I raised my voice again, and he finally woke up. So I'm sorry. So I was, I was, and I was like, no, you know what, dude? It's okay. We've got fucking 10 minutes left. I'm just going to split. I'll see you later. And then I saw him like two weeks later, and then a week after that, and I was like, but then that's what kind of made me, talking about like my worldview last time a little bit, that this last interaction kind of opened my mind about therapists and shrinks because uh, he was a psychologist, by the way, mm-hmm. to my knowledge. Like, he had his degrees and all that shit. But anyway, he, uh, I brought it up to him the last time that I saw him, and I was like, this is what made me stop going. And I was like, hey, like, I just feel like I'm coming in here for the last two months, month and a half, and I'm just complaining. Um, I feel like I'm just saying these minute things in my life that really aren't that bad, but I guess they're inconveniences, so I guess we should talk about that. And then his answer to that was, well, maybe you should figure, we should figure out why you're complaining so much. And I'm like, no, bitch. Like, that's not what I'm, I feel like I have to complain to keep an hour-long conversation going. And that's what I have in the back of my head. And I was like, you know, that's what I entertained him. I was like, all right, sure. And basically, like, half of it was a sales pitch on staying in therapy. And then the other half was, like, a blanket, blanket conversation about complaining that I could give you guys. Mm-hmm. Or I'm not fucking trying to do anything. So when I felt that, I was like, all right, I think we're going to go ahead and, you know, stop this for now. Do you think it was more like the therapist? Or do you think, because you have had other therapists? or Yeah, okay. yeah. So I had a really good one. Um, and who was, like, an actual uh, psychologist. I had uh, one overseas. Mm-hmm. She was in the, in the Army with us attached to our unit. And she was amazing. Um, the ones in the VA were okay. Um, well, actually, I take that back. There was one that had the VA that was very, like, um, that was very uh, left-leaning, like, extremely left-leaning, and then let that go into our conversations and let that go into our thing. And, and, and truthfully, I don't give a shit if you're so left-leaning that you want to abide by any of their ideologies and then or if you're so right-leaning that you know you think trump trump is the second coming of christ right like you know what i mean like you could be either one of those things in the middle whatever um i i just don't care to hear it if we're doing a fucking therapy therapy session session, i don't give a fuck unless it's a applicable analogy i truly couldn't care and that goes for like political stuff sexual stuff you know whatever right just Keep it to yourself. Yeah. It's a professional setting. So that kind of put me off, and again, the same way it would a right-leaning person, because they annoy me too. Um, but what did I learn from it? Um, I think just over the years, therapy has given me a insight into how I, how I think, why I think, and then how to improve it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I, I don't I don't like speaking in absolutes, but I really do think if there's anything that people should try out, it probably should be like two or three times. If you have access to it and you just have questions or you just have like, you know, not like, they don't have like giant metaphysical questions like where do we come from? Is there a God? Why am I gay? Who am know, I? Whatever Why it is. am I here? Yeah, exactly. But um, I think it's something everyone should at least give a shot or give an open mind to, because what if you do get some insight that you might not have had before, and all you do is pay the $25 copay? Why not? If you have access to it, you know, it doesn't have to be a regular part of your life. <clears throat> and quite frankly, it won't be if you don't want it to be, just like anything else. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, again, just to bring this all 
back around. It's a person that's supposed to sit there and give you insight, give you tools that they have in their toolbox and maybe or maybe or may or may not mm-hmm. help you out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So and I feel like you said it well at the beginning where you said, I realized I wasn't like as mature as I thought I was, you know, and yeah. I think that's like a realization we all need to have is that like we nobody is perfect and nobody has it all figured out and there's flaws in every single person. So there's something yeah. that therapy can benefit from everyone whether you're like a great person what whatever it is you know it's like you can still work on something within yourself exactly and and again I didn't stop going to therapy because I thought that I was put together and all that kind of stuff I just didn't see the elevated need of therapy one thing that it just reminded me of something one thing that therapy actually really did uh <clears throat> help me get insight into and I think we can transition into men's mental health through this is um i well i got this from going to therapy myself and then a lot of uh reading his i've only read one of his books but listen to a lot of his lectures and his podcast uh, jordan peterson because mm-hmm. he emphasized on this a lot too uh what empathy actually means right and so for me it it's it really opened my eyes and what it became is like okay like people can make poor decisions and make mistakes like or just do the wrong thing right mm-hmm. people do that I've done that. You guys have done that. Like, it's a thing. But it takes, I think, a elevated person. And I th- and not that I'm completely that person, but I know how far I've come, right? It takes someone that can actually think out their own thoughts and really, like, tangle with their own digestion of whether it's actions, words, things that happen in their life, events to if you're wronged by somebody to not just immediately like react like re- not only react but how you react you should react immediately but is your muscle impulse to scream and yell and just lose your shit or is it to say okay we're going to take the first thing is take a moment mm-hmm. right and so for me it, this isn't like because people can hear this and take it one way to where it's like oh that's just coping with someone doing something the wrong thing and like you're letting them off right like no you don't have to like forgive or you don't have to actually forget about anything but it's seeing like okay like this person whether it's a friend a loved one family member boyfriend girlfriend wife husband whatever another person wrongs you and obviously the more the deeper you can think about it is based solely on how close you are to that person. But it's like, okay, well, why did this happen? Mm-hmm. Not excusing it, but what are the breadcrumbs that led to this event happening? Did I have any play in it? Right or wrong? Not justifying what this person did, but did I have anything to do with what they're doing now? And yeah. then why did I do what I did? Is it because of them or is it because of somebody else? Or it's just like, there's a how, like, like one thing I'm still kind of not opening my mind to, but like researching, I guess opening my mind to is, um, is, uh, like, like generational trauma. I'm still not completely convinced on what that means yet. Like truly what that means. Aside from, yeah, it's trauma through generations. Like, okay, yeah, <laughs> fuck. But what does that mean? Like, what does, how does that show itself? But something like that too, right? It's like, okay, well, how were they raised? And how was their parents raised? So, that's one thing that therapy really gave me was how do I because and that, and that stopped me from being angry right because if you look at someone the way they did that to you you're only looking in like the 
like a very closed time frame, right? Like very close to that specific event happening. And then it's like, well, what the fuck did I do in the last 24 hours? You fucking motherfucker. And you get really mad and angry. Like what I do to deserve this? What the fuck? Right? But maybe it was a built up thing. And maybe they're built up things because you built up things. And then it just became this whole, yeah, right? So, but being able to look at being wronged by somebody or a wrong thing happening like in the world, you're like, oh, well, yeah, it's not right what they did, or it's not right what this person did, but a few years ago, this happened, or generations ago, this happened. Like, it, it scales up, depending on how like, far away you zoom out from your own life. But yeah, that was one thing that therapy gave me yeah. in spades, was empathy, and then the ability to understand why things may or may not be happening. Yeah, and I feel like it makes you realize that a lot of the conflict comes from a lack of communication because a lot of things can be solved through just having a conversation with someone. Yeah. And like you said, it's really hard to look within and be like, okay, what role did I have in this situation? And what is something that I did that may have resulted in whatever it was, you know? And it's really difficult to look at our flaws and see and fix that. You know, and I think that's something that you said, like therapy allows you to have empathy and yeah. kind of just look at a broader perspective of like, okay, let me not react in this situation and let me just sit down and try to understand where this person is coming from. Mm -hmm. I feel like the skill of learning how to respond to things instead of reacting, whether it is with like conflict, anything in life is such a important skill to learn because like how you said it teaches you to be like okay instead of just reacting off of impulse let's just take a second and figure out how I want to respond to this that actually reflects how I genuinely feel instead of just like oh I'm angry so I'm going to scream or punch something or whatever you know like just take that second to figure out your own thoughts so you can make your own informed choices around how like you want to mm -hmm. respond to people and that kind of goes back into that generational trauma because like was were your parents the people that like sat you down and like okay kind of talked with you or were they the ones that like scream you know and it's scream. like scream, like, scrammed like, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> or they like took out the belt you know because like that's oh something God, yes. that like I experienced and it's like okay but then I don't know it's so it's so interesting because I, me and my three siblings grew up in the same households and my household was not very great growing up, you know, like it was very traumatic and I went through a lot of things, but then again, we are all different people and we all experienced that same trauma in a different way and ended up differently, you know, and dealt with that trauma differently. So it is interesting to think about what is generational trauma and it's like, how does it truly affect the psychology of each person? Because me... Like, I kind of took the trauma that I went through and decided to overcome that and be like, okay, this is not what I want to do. And this is not how I want to have a family or want to be as a person. And I use that to better myself, whereas some other people may not. And it's harder for them to kind of cope with that, you know? So, yeah, it's just interesting to me. Uh -huh. <laughs> I don't know. I, I wanted to. I want to give it a pause. You've got okay. I mean, um, I just, you know, I kind of agree too. Like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like my, I feel like my, like we definitely had trauma in my family, but not. I don't know. I don't know how to explain it, but yeah, mm -hmm. kind of same thing. Like, it's interesting to see how like my sister, grew up versus how I grew up with just like our own thoughts and ideologies and 
you know, how we deal with things and how we process things and stuff. And brain's a weird thing. Yeah. And I don't know. I just, again, because I don't know even how to define the generational thing, but. It's trauma that comes from generations. Thanks. Yeah. Thanks. Um, But what I do know is that um, I feel like a lot of the. How, how, I'm trying to think of the most accurate because I'm trying to it, it's I'm, I'm finding that and I feel like it's going to flip at some point hopefully fingers crossed but the more that I've been writing comedy the, the little more challenging it is for me to have a, like a serious conversation that I want to turn everything into a fucking joke and I don't want to make fun of it um, but the general softness of the next generation I think is because our generation is the first to truly kind of wake up and be like, okay, there were some things that happened when I grew up or that I see as I saw some of my friends grow up with or my siblings, like whatever. There are some things back then that were generally accepted mm-hmm. that probably wasn't the best idea. So then they overcorrect when they have kids and they're too soft on their kids and you get the like participation trophy thing happening you know what I mean um and I think uh that is kind of and I can only speak to the male experience but I and I it definitely happened I think during our generation too like like for me right like my I'll just be completely blunt show where I'm coming from so my father was extremely abusive towards me very abusive um and then I think in the flip side to that um and and I think a good way to frame this too is that I don't speak to either one of my parents. Um, <clears throat> my mother, growing up, I don't think she was a bad person. I just don't think she was the best single parent. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. And I think that she really didn't know. And as I grow up, I, I can't really fault her. Uh, she really didn't know how to raise a son by herself. And I think that as I grew up and then um, as I went to uh, went to military school for high school, holy shit, as I went to military school for high school um, and then college, a lot of my upraising was... Upbringing, raising, upbraid, upraising. Uh, a lot of that was outsourced effectively mm-hmm. to other 15, 16, 17, 18 year old guys, and then like the adult supervision we had there, right? But, uh, and then from her point of view as well, some of the ways that she had treated me uh, more verbally, psychologically, she probably didn't know what she was doing at the time. Now, I also want to say, like, I never had, you know, I was very, I had a very fortunate um, financial upbringing. Like, I, we weren't fucking rich by any means, but I always had a roof over my head, clothes on my back, food in my stomach, and um, nice things. Like, I had a fucking Xbox. I had, um, you know, I had an iPhone when I was in junior year of high school. Um, like, I had, a, I had a car when I was a senior. Like, I had a pretty good fucking time. I'm not going to lie. Me and my mother just never really connected. We never really had a relationship. And things happened recently over the last, like, four years or so. And and it's better for my my life that she's just not a part of it. Uh, But I think it's good to frame it that way. 
Um, but, and I bring all this up because without that father role in my life, the way my mother raised me is I kind of see a lot of my raising in today's raising where when I was a kid and it was just her, I was very sheltered, wasn't exposed to And then the other religion part on top of it too. I, I was the, like, you ever heard of the kids that you went to middle school and elementary school with, like, that kid doesn't, isn't allowed to read or watch Harry Potter because their mom is a fucking religious nut? That was me. Like, I wasn't allowed to read or watch fucking Harry Potter. Uh, every music, any band that I listened to, she, like, went through all the lyrics on the internet, like, very closed off, like, TV didn't work past eight, like, that type of shit, right? Mm-hmm. Um... I granted a lot of that loosened up and then went to high school because she just couldn't control me anymore because I fucking went elsewhere. I was no longer in the house nine to twelve nine out of twelve months of the year. <clears throat> but um I was very closed off, I was very sheltered. Like I wasn't allowed to do fucking martial arts because the martial arts that I wanted to do you had to bow in the beginning. And that goes against Christianity. Like no mother really? thing. Really? Like no. No, it doesn't, but no. in her mind it does. No. no. I was like, does it really? No. I don't No, yeah. fuck no. You're you're giving respect. I think God, the creator of everything, is smart enough to know the difference between giving respect and worshiping a false idol. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? But, um, but because... Sorry, my palms are sweating. I'm wearing my cuts. Oh, okay. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah, you your CrossFit shit yesterday. Yeah. God bless. My hands are hurting. I'm so sorry. Yeah, I don't know why Um, my hands are so sweaty, though. But, yeah, so, so she... Um, how was I going with that? She, like, she's a good person. I just don't think she was the best of mom. Oh, yeah, my upbringing. So because, like, I had to learn how to, and I'm still learning, but I had to learn, like, traditional masculine traits well into my late teens and my 20s. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, and I, and frankly, I used to wallow in that a little bit, but I got over that very quickly and basic training helped with that. But, um, you know, it was, I felt stunted at that point. Right, I, I felt like oh, I don't really know how to be a man. What the fuck does a man look like? I haven't really had a, a strong male role model in my life, and then the other men in my life are making the same mistakes that I'm making. Is the same fucking age, so it's like, what do I look to, right? And so I think, I think that's a lot of the reason now why you have uh, men existing on such extreme ends of the emotional spectrum, right? And that feeds into the mental health aspect of it. Because you're having some guys that are raised traditionally where it's like, you don't fucking show your emotions, you don't do this, you don't do that. That's very one side of it. And you have men on the other side of it where, and I'm not saying one is better than the other necessarily, but then you have one on the other side of the spectrum where it's like, well, you should be overly comfortable with showing emotion and feeling your emotion and you should act on your emotions and you should um, like, like overly accept them, make it a part of your life and all that. And I think that's wrong too. And I think these both lead to very drastic outcomes, right? There's, there's, we can walk in, yeah, we can walk and chew gum at the same time, right? There needs to be something in the middle of that where, because again, just, I'm not a fucking psychologist. I'm not a sociologist. I'm not an ologist. I'm a dude. You know what I mean? I don't really have... I'm not an ologist. I'm just a dude. Yeah. I'm a guy's guy. Yeah, I'm just a guy. Like, I I have the very bare minimum prerequisites to even have this conversation. I just have my own experience and things that I feel that I need to read so that I can potentially have this conversation on my own podcast and then now that I get invited to other ones, you know, Mm -hmm. I can at least hold my own. At least, like we were talking about a little bit earlier, form my own thought, mm-hmm. right? Be able to actually critically think for a second, digest it, and give you the best response that I can, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm not, because, yeah, 
I just, I think it's, I think it's good to put that out there. I'm not a fucking doctor. Neither are we. I don't know. Yeah. If, I don't know if you can tell, but I'm not a fucking doctor. Honestly, if I have a doctor oh. who were like Ice Nine Kill stuff, I'd probably trust that doctor's <laughs> advice more so than like the doctor and like the little like Disney Scrubs. I don't know why the Disney Scrubs always piss me off, but even as a little kid, I was like, I'm not a fucking doctor. I'm sick. I don't care about fucking Goofy right now. Can I like? Can I stop bleeding? <laughs> Anyway, anyway, um, so in my opinion, if you have someone, this is generally speaking, if you have someone on the one side where it's hold your emotions in, don't say anything, don't do this, don't do that, they, that guy ends up being overly emotional, but internally, Mm -hmm. right? And that's going to come out somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so like. I think the best way to frame this is, is is a guy who, which I'm not, but I think is a guy that is married and may or may not have kids, but has a, has a household, right? At least has a wife. Because that's where it becomes dangerous, right? Um, and, and this is just a fact. Uh, society holds uh, a battered wife or a battered household to a higher regard than a guy who commits suicide. Society holds that to a, like, that's a worse scenario. Because the guy who holds things in and is angry at the world, doesn't talk about it, and he's alone in his one-bedroom apartment, he's more likely, I think, to commit suicide. But the guy who does that in a household takes that out on his family. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Am I wording that properly? Yeah, the explanation made sense. Okay, yeah, that's what I'm trying to say, right? Mm -hmm. Society tends to hold that in a higher regard and more severity, so I'm going to go with that, right? So if a husband is in that scenario and doesn't have any outlet to express emotion, to uh, whether it's verbally express that emotion or physically express that emotion, whether it's like physical activities or like, like, like guys just like doing things with their hands, right? So it's like creating something or going to the gym and exercising, going on runs, bike riding, hiking, mountain climbing, whatever it is. I don't, I know a lot of people do these days. I think it's a bit lazy to do it, but I don't put video games in that category. I understand the, and it's documented the therapy, the therapeutic effect that video games can have, but it's still being sedentary. Mm-hmm. Sorry, like yeah, you're doing this with your hands, you're having an audiovisual uh, stimulation, but it's still sedentary. Like you're not moving your body, you're not like accomplishing something, right? Like accomplishing something in a video game is nothing for your life on the grander scale. It does not, right? Um, unless like you're a fucking career video game player, but that's like mm-hmm. like point five percent of the video game community. Like you're not a fucking you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So anyway, um, so I think the family man that does that, that's, <clears throat> and he doesn't have the proper outlets to get those emotions out, whatever they are. Um, I think he turns around and takes that out on his kids, right? That's when you hear about, you know, the, the kid that gets beat for minute things. It's like, oh, they didn't take out the trash, the belt, mm-hmm. close fist, punch, smack around, that type of shit, right? Um, and then it's like the wife that makes the same dinner three nights in a row and she gets fucking bottled. You know what I mean? Like that's the type of stuff you hear about, right? And those, and I, and I feel like 20 or 30 years ago, that was more of like a, not a rarity, but it wasn't as common as you think it is. And now it's like every fucking day because things have just got so much worse on a societal level, in my opinion. <clears throat> so, and then let's say you have 
and this all starts at a young age, right? This mm-hmm. let's I'm my my world or my view on this is that this starts taking shape during the uh, predominantly during uh, pubescent times, like as the the young boy is going through puberty, so that's when all the hormones are kicking off. That's when he's starting to figure out, like, okay, I like this person, or I'm attracted to this person, or this type of physical activity is... Because, like, if you watch... It's funny, I was watching a documentary on... um, It was a sports documentary, but they took a moment... I forget what the fuck it's called, but they took a moment to describe, like, how young men choose what physical activities they like doing. And I guess a part of the study is they watched, like, elementary school kids play during recess... And they're not really playing. They're, like, fumbling around trying to figure out what they like to do. Like, you'll see the kid doesn't even know how to fall down a slide properly or he doesn't know how to swing properly, but loves getting on the monkey bars, mm-hmm. right? Loves getting in, like, that half-dome thing that you can climb on and shit like that, right? So during puberty, when they're finding out what physical activities they do, like running, they're, like, like uh, combat sports, they're, like, playing basketball, football, whatever it is, right? So... That's what happens if that kid is told, hold your shit in, you never cry, you never whatever, you get knocked down, you get back up, stop being a pussy, that type of shit, right? But then you have on the other side of the spectrum, the kid that, you know, goes through the same experiences, but then they're told, you know how you're feeling right now? You should be feeling that, and you are validated, and you're this, and you are that, and you're, and they're just like, like they're coddled, and they're like, just like, so preciously held that like, you know, and then the parents see like the one bad thing happen, and now they're going to protect them from the world because the world is evil. And maybe they've had world experiences that are so bad they don't want their kid every experience. But they're also negating this whole thing about adversity building a good character, mm-hmm. right? And so they hold the, this this young man off from experiencing that. This is very extreme, like extreme levels of this, right? Where they're not allowed to, because if I would have, I think my extreme version of this would have been: you're not going to military school, you're going to private, or you're going to public school, and it's you're going here, you're coming back, and nothing, right? Um, and and frankly, uh, it took a lot of convincing of my mother by the rest of the family. Like, yeah, the kid needs to go, like he needs to go do that, mm-hmm. because the other family saw what my mom didn't, right? So I'm very thankful for my extended family uh, in a lot of regards, but especially that one. So I think if you have the kid. Like in elementary school, middle school, it's getting held together and very like everything's handed to them, but they're not really getting like exposed in small doses as every kid should be to the real world. Like, hey, this is what happens when you bully a kid. They're going to punch you back, right? This is what happens if you pull on her hair. She's going to kick you in the nuts. Like, this is like, these are things that are, you know, instead of saying like, no, what happened to you? You didn't deserve that. You need to feel your feelings and you need to this, that, and the other. And then I think the really, again, I'm going to restate it. I think the really scary element of that is the over-validation of feelings and the necessity to act on those feelings so they feel better. Acting on anything solely in your own benefit, it, it doesn't work out for you most of the time, right? Because then you're negating the entire world around you and you tend to, whether it's immediate or down the road, you tend to kind of mess something else up in your own life, right? You're being hyper-selfish. Now, there's exceptions to that, but generally speaking, right? Uh, I think we talked about, like, last time, was moving with intention, right? Moving with proper intention. So this, this kid that gets raised in that environment 
and they're told that all of their feelings matter and all of their feelings are valid and they need to like, you know, express that until they feel good about it. Well, what happens if that kid, you know, doesn't, you know, let's say that kid is getting picked on in school or let's say just because this, this is how boys are, young men are, they're just talking shit to each other. But that kid, for whatever reason, doesn't know how to pick because of how he was brought up, doesn't know how to pick up on social cues of we're not we're not trying to bully you, we're just talking shit. Mm-hmm. Everyone else is in on it but you. They internalize that, they take it as bullying, happens over years. I think that's how you get school shootings, to be completely honest with you. I think that is how you get school shootings, is you get kids that are bullied over time, over time, over time, but they don't the missing link is they don't know how to process their own emotions. And they're getting brought up to believe that they are completely right in how they feel and these people are wrong and, you know, they, they are given full, like, how do you say it? They, they're given, like, I don't know, they, they, they're, they are given, like, they are just given the opportunity or the, the outlet to, I'm trying to figure out how I want to say this, like, they, they are told they can do no wrong. So therefore, everything anyone else does them that they don't like is wrong because it's not what they're doing. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Am I wording that properly? I hope I, I am. I feel yeah. like I'm not. No, that's okay. I can see where you're coming from. Okay. But I feel like when we're we're talking about like school shootings, yeah. it can be like so many different factors that there, play and, and into the are. psychology of like why and, they and do the, what they do and their yeah. upbringing and, and like why someone goes to that extreme. Yeah. yeah, and I think and I think the issue too is that um, <clears throat> I think the study was done in. 20, it was really like right after or right before the pandemic. I can't, I can't remember because I read it after the pandemic. So 2019 or 2021, where it was like 95 or 92% of uh, mass shootings are done with, are, are done by people who have either currently been on or just gotten off antipsychotics. And I think that's a scary thought. And now, honestly, now obviously, you can go down that, and you've got a tinfoil hat about big pharma, and all that kind of like the, and you can talk about the general, uh, dissolving of like, uh, societal norms or a, or the standard household or whatever that is, right? But because when you're adding all the med- medications into it, but I think that the overly emotional guys, I think, I think that they're that are not taught, you know. Because I think about my own upbringing, and I wish at a young age I was taught life is hard. You're not going to get everything you want. You need to work hard. You need to be um, trustworthy. You need to be, you know, like what is what does stoicism actually mean? I think you can teach stuff like those bigger concepts. I think you can teach that to young boys in like bite-sized pieces. Dumbed down, obviously, depending on their age, but I think you can teach them that. And I think young men that are taught that um, at, at, a, at that age t- turn out to be better people, I think. Again, I'm just hypothesizing here, but I would think, right? And I told myself my own potential future issue is if I ever do have a son, how am I going to raise him? Right? I'm not going to tell him to keep all his emotions in and stop being a pussy, that type of shit. But I'm not going to exactly give him carte blanche to go out and just feel every emotion, like, especially if he's a teenager, like 15, 16, 17. I'm like, no, dude, life is hard, especially as a man. And it's going to be hard. It's going to continue being hard. And it, should, and it shouldn't be easy, right? Life should not be easy. Because if life is easy and everything comes easy, where's the reward? Where's that huge dopamine spike when you do something, when you accomplish something hard? 
when you achieve when you achieve achieve something. You, eat cheese. <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? You know what I mean? Go eat some cheese. <laughs> you feeling fat? Eat cheese. <laughs> feeling happy? Eat cheese. <laughs> but yeah, it's like where where's all the best parts of life are typically achieved through hard work. Yeah. Every single part of life is attributed to hard work. Mm-hmm. Whether it's a business thing, whether it's a relationship thing, marriage, like. I, I personally think, and then take and then taking that away from young men and telling them that if bad things happen to them, it's not their fault, and they should feel all their emotions, mm-hmm. and you should act on them. Mm-hmm. Again, maybe it's a bit extreme, but I really do believe because then it's like, okay, you're telling this to a prepubescent or a pubescent man who's starting to like women. What if he's getting rejected by women, and now he's getting told that it's his, that it's their fault he's getting rejected? Mm-hmm. Dude, maybe you're a fucking ugly 13, 14 year old. Coming from a formerly ugly 13, 14-year-old and a presently not that great 26-year-old, okay, I wish somebody told me when I was a kid, like, hey, the reason why she's not into you is because you're a buck 15, scrawny, and you're going through puberty. You're a weird little dude. Mm -hmm. But guess what? All your other friends are better. Like, it doesn't fucking matter. Mm -hmm. Just wait to grow up. Mm -hmm. You know, don't eat fucking pizza and Mountain Dew every weekend. And maybe, I don't know, sleep a little more. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? That's what I would tell my like my younger high school self. You know what I mean? So, but yeah, what if you have that kid who's getting told your feelings are valid, they're treating you wrong, it's their fault, and you should feel it the way you want to feel it. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you get young, like young abuse and, and, and like young love, right? I think that's how you get young abuse. I personally, I think that's how you develop, I think that's how you develop uh, people who hate women. Like the incels, whatever you want to call them, right? Who genuinely have a disdain towards women. Like genuinely feel like women are out to get them. The reason why they don't get dates, the reason why they don't have a girlfriend, the reason why they're not married is because women hate them. Like there are men out there who genuinely believe that. And I think that starts at the younger age when they're told that not only are your feelings valid, the reason that girl doesn't like you is because uh, like there's something wrong with her. I think there is zero value in that. Genuinely. They're like, what? So, what? So, you're saying that you're perfect? That right here, right now, when this kid is getting told something, that is the best they're ever going to be? There's no room for improvement, whether they're 15 or 35. Well, first of all, that kind of sucks, right? Because what's the point of life? What's the point? If they're 15 and at 15 years old, they are the best that they're going to... They have maxed out their stats, right? They are... They peaked. Yeah, they have peaked, right? That's the best they're ever going to be. Well, then what is the fun in the next 60 years? What are you going to improve on if you've already maxed out? That sucks. Like, what, how depressing is that? And then the worst part about that is I don't think they're going to realize that mindset and develop that mindset and adopt that until later on, but they take it in such a worse way, mm-hmm. Right? Um, and I, and then again, I really do believe that if you if you teach young men that they grow up and they do end up having a strong like disdain or dislike for women, I think any violence against women that could or could not happen, you can extrapolate it from that. I really do think so because what guy goes out, has a couple of drinks, goes to a bar, right? Has a couple of drinks, gets a little buzz, gets rejected by a girl. Oh, you fucking bitch! Oh, you dumb whore! That happens. Yeah. Every fucking day. Personally experienced every, that before. Or every, say every night, it's a bar setting, right? Yeah. Every night that happens. 
where a girl that just says no is called a whore, a slut, a cunt, you know, whatever it is. You can bleep those out if you want. But, you know, they, they, and that's like the low version of it. That's just verbal, right? It's like verbal abuse. Mm -hmm. What if that girl gets followed home? Followed in her car. Followed to her car. This is how it starts. I genuinely believe that. And also some people are just sociopathic. So okay. it's like something no, that no, yeah, I'm like, you, and it's not just because they're like coddled. No, and yeah, like no, no, no. No, you definitely have that. You definitely have the people that there is just something in there that... Hardwiring. Yeah, the chemistry just wasn't there because you hear about that all the time with people that had a good family, good upbringing, and they just... But I, the point I'm trying to make is that I don't think you're necessarily helping by telling somebody that the accountability is not theirs. That's what I was trying to say earlier. I think the accountability is being taken out. And that's something that really got articulated for me and brought forward properly by Jordan Peterson. And quite frankly, and, I'm, and, and, I, and if you guys want to push back on this, you feel free. I know a lot of people will be hearing this. But that is probably the number one thing that Andrew Tate talks about that I fucking love is extreme accountability. He talks about it. Jordan Peterson talks about it. Rogan talks about it. Jocko Willing talks about it. David Goggins talks about it. All these guys, they talk about whether you have to or not, it tends to be, at least because of how the male brain works, it's easier for men to digest and then act upon if they're in a bad situation and they're like, you know what? This sucks right now. How much of it is my fault? 100% like my fault, I caused this, and then how much of this could be my fault? Okay, I'll take accountability for that too, and I'll fix all of it. Whether it's, I fixed the relationship, or I fixed the circumstance, or I fixed the whatever it is, or let's say the circumstance is gone, my friendship with this person, my relationship with this person, whatever it is with this person is gone, now I only have myself, how do I make myself better and make sure this never happens again? Mm -hmm. Right, that extreme ownership, that extreme accountability of that. I think if you take that away from people, not just men, just people in general, you, you raise a shitty person. I think you garner a shitty person, right? Say, no, that wasn't your fault. None of this is ever your fault. Like, pe I think people benefit a lot. You know, I think it starts that few thousand days when you start, like, really digesting bigger thoughts. But it's, I think people benefit from constructive criticism where it's like, hey, this was your fault, dude. Like, mm -hmm. you're the reason this went wrong. Well, that's how we learn what's right and wrong, you know, because exactly. it's like not even just men. and Yes. But it's like, like you said, as a society, we need to learn what's right and wrong. And then also that things don't just come to us. You need to work hard exactly. in order to achieve the things that you want. And you need to have a proper system in order to get to the goal that you want to. You know, it's not just men, but I think that yeah. it's more like men, like you need to work hard and that yeah. whole, that other extreme. But, 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 I think, but I think that's what I'm saying, though. I think that's why that has its place more than the other side of it. Because again, I think that if you raise, if you, if as a man, uh, I know this from, again, from my own small personal experience, I think really adopting the mindset of like, okay, take accountability for as much of this as possible, now make it better. Now make yourself better, work on that. And then, because then, if you take all the accountability on yourself, yeah, it sucks right then, but then when you make things better, excuse me, when you make things better, you have that much more reward out of it. You have that much more accomplished. You have that much more gain because you took it upon yourself to take accountability for these things. Mm -hmm. And you did your best to rectify them, right? Um, and again, I think just owning, owning the things that happen in your life and then doing your best to work on them, I think that just turns out a better product anyway. Mm -hmm. And again, taking accountability is an act of selflessness. And the sooner you, that anybody learns that, the less angry they are at the world. 
Mm-hmm. And I think the less angry you are at the world, the better your mental health is, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're angry and consistently stressed out and just concerned if it's taking up your headspace with all these intangibles that you can't fix, you know what I mean? I think that's another part of taking accountability is recognizing your own ability and your own power of being like, hey, I can't fix what's going on in fucking Ukraine. I can't. Mm-hmm. I can't fix what's going on between Israel and Hamas. I can't. You know, I can't take on, like, the, 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 the corruption of our own government, right? Um, I can do my own piece of it, but it's recognizing what your piece is and then recognizes if it's worth it to you or not and then moving forward from there, mm-hmm. right? But again, I think I think that's a good way to wrap all of this into one jumbly wrap. Uh, one pretty gift with yeah, a one gift. No, okay. 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 So we had some technical difficulties. Are you okay? Yeah, like I was just ignoring <laughs> So yeah, I'll, I'll wrap up what I was saying. Man. Yeah, just, the, just accountability in general, I think, is the big. Uh, Sorry, <laughs> funny. Uh, that's the big takeaway, right? Is and again, all those guys that I listed off, they all have their pros and their cons for sure, some more than others. But um, I think that is out of, and it's been deemed like the the red pill movement, right, on the internet. Um, I think that's the biggest takeaway of that is extreme accountability. Take ownership for what you've done and even some things you may not have done but you may have attributed to and rectify it to the best of your ability and recognize where you fall short of even doing that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the big things that I take away from it. Um, but I think the next logical step in this conversation is toxic masculinity. Because I think by and large, it, by and large the conversation surrounding it's kind of bullshit. But it exists. It's a real thing. And I think, and I'm sure, well, how to put this? I'm sure it has its own relationship with generational trauma. How it has that relationship, I'm not, I have ideas, but I don't have a fully formed thought around that yet. Mm-hmm. But I think it's important to, actually, before we move on to that, is there anything that you wanted to say about what we had talked about beforehand? I don't think so. Okay. No, I mean, I just agree that, you know, I feel like self awareness is such a good skill to develop if you also develop the skill of working on it, you know, being aware that you're like a dick or something, but not doing anything about it, like you're not utilizing that skill to its full potential. But yeah, kind of like how you said, I think it's just really important in all aspects of life, not just like behavioral and emotional, but everything, you know, to be aware of where you are doing well, where Mm -hmm. you are falling short and how to actually act on that so that you can make improvements and grow. And being accountable when you are wrong and not having an ego to be like, okay, I'm not going to be able to admit that I'm doing something wrong. You know, be able to admit that you're wrong and then you learn from that and you grow and people will respect you a lot more than if you have ego take over and you're not able to admit that you're doing something wrong or you said something wrong or whatever it was, you know. Ego's a huge part of it, right? I think, did you plug it into a different port? The audio sounds a lot better. Yeah, I plugged it into the port you told me to plug it into. It sounds like noticeably better. Does it? I think so. I feel like maybe, I don't know. Anyway, sorry, this is an observation <laughs> that I had. Uh, anyway, anyway, um, I think men, well, no, I, I'm not going to say that because that's not true. It, uh, no, it's just, I, 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 I've I finished that in my own brain because this, this social media has definitely uh, ramped up, generally speaking, I think has ramped up. Uh, and destroyed at the same time uh, women's self-image and ego um, and we talked about that a little bit last time you guys came mm-hmm. on the podcast so I'm not going to say that yeah. but and it could go for men too yeah, yeah. oh yeah 
No, no, no. Yeah, no, what I was going to say is that men deal with ego more than women do because of social media. I think it's pretty much evened out. Um, because it wasn't... Before social media, I think ego really landed on the male side more than the female because there was you still had like okay it's the head of the household even if it was a dual income household it was like okay this is the insert last name household that kind of, and that kind of implicates the husband and that kind of stuff right and then i guess the real takeaway i would assume is uh the the female side of that is that she lives in a good house. She's created a great household for herself and her husband and the kids or kid, I mean, whatever situation that is. And then, um, I don't know if it exists now, but I mean, I remember I've even, I've been told stories like from my extended family from the neighbor, uh, RAs where it was like a big thing for a woman who got married young and then, uh, like bragged about their husband. I was like, oh, my husband does this, my husband does that, we go here for vacation, that type of shit. Like, she would brag to all of her friends, and that was that ego side of it, but now it's, like, completely switched over to social media. Um, I'm thinking out loud here. <laughs> uh, but, toxic masculinity, right? I think it's good to define it before you talk about it. But can you define it if everybody's yes. toxic differently? Yes. Yeah, I feel like everybody, because my version of, like, toxic masculinity is like kind of that whole like I'm the ha- um, the head of the household like I'm gonna do I'm gonna work and you're gonna stay right. home and Bring cook and clean and stuff and then right. it's also like that toxic masculine of like this is what is masculine because I grew up my brother's gay and like he's not like all like you know like right. there's like a different spectrum of masculinity and it goes for like feminine as well you know sure. so it's like it's so hard to have one definition because everyone has their own perception of it, if that makes sense. You so know? I think you can have a general definition and then you narrow it down and then you can narrow it down to situations, right? Mm-hmm. So for me, I think my definition of it is using masculine power for a unfair advantage. I think that is toxic masculinity, right? So for instance, we just you just gave your example of uh, you wouldn't want to be with somebody that wants you to be a housewife, for lack mm-hmm. of a better term, right? Housewife. Yeah. That says, hey, if you're going to be with me, you're going to be a housewife, that type of shit. That's toxic for you as a person. Because if your potential partner, I'm going to have to assume your boyfriend isn't like this, right? Let's say in this <laughs> alternate situation, you have a partner who expresses that to you. You don't want that. But then, let's say he's able to manipulate you into wanting it, acting against your own best interest, toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Someone that's like manipulative. Right, exactly. Gaslighters. Sure. Exactly. And there's a difference between that. Because there's a bunch of housewives that are like, if that's what you do, that's like a chore and like a, a good job in itself, you know? So yeah. it's like not talking down to like housewives, but it's like. Well, exactly. That's what I was going to say mm-hmm. is that on the flip side of that, you have women. That that's what they want to do. Mm-hmm. They want to have like three to five plus kids and raise a household and they take pride in the fact that they're raising good kids. They're, they have a clean house. Dinner's always made. This, that, 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 all that stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Like they, they take the role of a housewife on as a full-time job, right? And they do that, whether it's because they've always wanted, they've always wanted to be a mother, 
or it's like that's what they saw their mom doing this was like their grandma doing and that's how and they see how their lives turned out and like okay well that's what I can do if I can find a good man defining for whatever man whatever a good man is right um they're gonna go find that person that fits that mold in theory and then they're gonna be a housewife so that's not toxic to them mm-hmm. and I would imagine what's toxic to them is what's natural to you because you want a I would imagine that you want a partner that encourages you in your professional endeavors, encourages you and lifts you up and really um, cheers you on as you're going like, through your school of medicine, right? As you're doing the podcast, you're doing something like you want your boyfriend to cheer you on and to encourage you to take the extra time to do it. Hey, if you need to see each other tonight, fine. Go do what you need to do. Go take care of your business, right? Mm-hmm. So, but then you stick that man with a housewife type woman, he's going to get irritated really quick with, why do you just want to stay home all day? Why are you banking on me to make money? Why are you that? And that's toxic to both of them, mm-hmm. right? But there's no, in your situation, and then in this hypothetical situation, there is no advantages being taken by the man. His needs are getting met in the same way that yours are. It is just framed differently. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I think if you, again, if you take, if you took you and put you with a guy that expected a housewife, bad match. In the same respect that you took your, uh, I can't speak for him, but I would imagine like the like the archetype, right? If you took the the model of what I'm assuming your boyfriend expects and put him with a housewife, not gonna go together very well, mm-hmm. right? So in that respect, it's there is no toxic, hopefully no toxic masculinity or femininity in that frame because they're working together, right? Those type of people are supposed to be together, mm-hmm. um, but again. I think it's in certain situations where where a guy is using his position or his own masculinity to get advantages over either other men or women. Mm -hmm. Um, It's predatory, right? It's predatory in a way that's harmful. Um, Like we brought this up the last time we recorded. Dudes who want to be firefighters, police officers, military members. Uh, fighters, these very masculine uh, endeavors that require you to use all of your masculine advantage to accomplish the goal, that is not toxic, right? Now, you, of course, have the corrupt police officers, mm-hmm. right? You have the dirty fighters, right? That Like, like, the, like the donkey punch to the back of the head or like the, the elbow to the back of the head that, you know, debilitates their opponent. Right, that's unsportsmanlike. That's dirty. Right, you have that. Um, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what a corrupt firefighter looks like, but I'm sure there is one. They use a little bit too much water. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> who the fuck? <laughs> who the fuck? Maybe, maybe they're putting out the fire here. Like it'd be funny to break out that window, and they go back to like you know. What I mean, I don't know what that is. But I'm sure there's a corrupt firefighter. Right. Yeah, I'm All, not really sure what that would look like. Either. Yeah, you know what I mean. I don't know. I have no idea. Yeah, honestly. but you see my point? Yeah. It's, it's using the masculine advantage in a predatory way. Mm-hmm. And then you kind of zero that in on different on different um, situations. And then you can decipher for yourself, okay, is that mm-hmm. negative or positive using that advantage there? Yeah, that makes sense to my brain. There's so many different, yeah. like, definite, and it's all dependent on the situation, of course, because it's like you talk about, like, a male and a female marriage relationship, but then also... Going back to my point of, like, growing up, the spectrum of masculinity where, like, my dad was very, like, 
traditional in a sense, you know, and like my brother was gay growing up and like that type of dynamic was difficult because then you have people that are like gay and trans and it's like that's who they are. But it's like then you have the super other spectrum of like masculine where like, oh, that's not right, you know, where it's like that's toxic masculinity to me and like how I experienced it growing up um, and not accepting people for like who they are. You know what I'm saying? No, no, for sure. And there is a giant spectrum of it and I don't I certainly don't hold um hyper feminine males at a lower standard than very masculine men right because I don't value people like that mm-hmm. but if you are putting it up against like a graph of like traditionally masculine features of course you can extrapolate from there but it doesn't make them lesser people at all I mean to say that would be very fucking ugly you know um and toxic. I think yeah toxic. <laughs> toxic. Yeah. but then you know, like a toxic but I, but I think <laughs> but I think a good frame a framework to look at this as well is the kind of the fact that we can have these conversations that are definitely nuanced but it's a new th- it's a new school of thought the only reason we're able even to have these conversations is because for all of its faults for how evolved the west is like what people need to realize is like 150 200 years ago, so two people ago, okay, two people ago, it was still country against, it's still country against country. Look at what's fucking going on with Israel and Hamas, right? That is how the world works, and uh, granted, we're kind of slipping ourselves, but America, the West, we're supposed to be the shining city on the hill that can do better, right? So that's why we're able to even have these conversations at the end of the day, and that's what, re- and it's another reason that really worries me about the hyper-coddling of men when they're young is that if shit hits the fan, who is defending the country? Who, like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's always been men lead the country because they're the ones that die in wars. And that's still true to this day. It is hyper on the male side of who dies in wars. And quite frankly, that's how it should be, in my opinion. It's going to be that way, and it will never not be that way. Because with our evolved thought of, again, this is very, like, this might sound ugly to say, but it's the truth. It is based on, relative to history of humans, the idea that men and women are equal is an evolved thought, unfortunately. Because women have always been subservient, which is wrong, but they've always been subservient in societies. They've been in the servant roles, they've been, like, they are the... They are the gatherers, men are the hunters, right? There are kings and there are queens, like that type of shit, right? Isn't like the fact that we can have, I'm not a big fan of her, but the fact that we can have a female vice president, the fact that we can have a female governor, that is an evolved thought. The rest of the world, unfortunately, doesn't think that way. And that's why, like, so many other countries, they look at America right now, like, oh, they are, and which I don't agree with, they're like, oh, they're feminizing their whole country and their, they're using the LGBTQ movement to dissolve this, that. It's like, no, bitch. Like, we're just trying new things because we've reached the point where we can try new things. And sometimes it fucking works. Most of the time it fucking works. But when it comes to the, the battling of nations, it's going to boil down to man-on-man to man man combat. And I think that's how it should be, right? And I think, and I'm saying all this because I think a lot of the responsibility... And it's obviously on the grander scale. I think a lot of the responsibility to lead to lead countries is always going to fall on men because, like, Xi Jinping, right? He was down for the count for a little bit. 
and people thought like who's gonna take over? Is it gonna be the sister or is it gonna be like the like you had a brother or something like that, right? It wasn't gonna be the sister for long. And what's funny, what I thought was funny, you gotta remember when that happened, people were terrified of the sister. Because apparently behind closed doors the sister was a nasty bitch. And people were afraid she was gonna be like the sister in uh, Avatar, like she was gonna have something to fucking prove, mm-hmm. right? But if we go to war with China, do you think they're gonna send a they're gonna put women in the front? No, they're gonna send their fucking battalion of battalions of men to go fight because of that masculine advantage. That's just how it's gonna fucking be, right? And so and I, that's why these to wrap this all up. I think it's good we can have these conversations mm-hmm. because it's such a new school of thought, and I just think I think it's gonna take a long time. Because humans aren't that quick to adapt, unfortunately. And this is going to take a long time for us to really figure out the middle point. Because it's literally a generational thing. Mm-hmm. Which really sucks, right? Um, it's going to take a while for us to come to a middle ground. But as long as we don't like completely fuck this country up, I think we can do it. I, I'm Fingers crossed we can do it. Because I'd like to live in a world where everyone is truly equal and you are valued in society based off of your merit mm-hmm. not based off of your color or your gender your societal or uh what's it called um like your fucking tax your ranking your tax bracket mm-hmm. you know what i mean like where how much money you have or what possessions you have or what family you're from like you know what i mean and that's why it's kind of like a nuanced thought but mm-hmm. i'll stop there not rambling no <laughs> i think it's like you said it's it shows how privileged we are to be able to have these conversations without like repercussions, if that makes sense. Exactly. You know? yeah. Oh, exactly. No, something that, um, it's kind of on topic, but it makes me think of it. It's like one time when I was starting to get like really into tattoos, my mom was having a hard time with that. And I was telling him, I have an amazing artist, he's so cool, but I was telling him that when I was getting like half my thigh tattooed. <laughs> and he was like, he's all, well, you know what? He's all, this is the way I look at it. He's like, and you can tell your mom this and maybe it'll help her get on board with what you're doing. And he's like, he's like, I personally love tattooing women because in my eyes, it's a privilege to be able to help women self-express in a country that accepts it. He's all, you look at like other countries and they can't, you know, they can't, they're controlled on what they wear, what they you know, how they behave, how they express themselves, you know, and he's on here in America, he's like, you have the privilege to come in here and pay me X amount of money for me to permanently color your body. And I'm like, wow, that was really I deep. That. I was like, I'm going to use that on my mind. I did tell her and she's like, that's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> and then, I mean, honestly, after that, she's been very pro all my tattoos. So maybe it did switch a little, but I just think that that's a beautiful concept like here in America. And I think we don't spend enough time highlighting that because we're so at, or at least I feel from like what I see on like social media and just community and stuff. Like, I feel like we're so, my brain just glitched. <laughs> well, somebody, I think, maybe you're going with this, like there's so many other things going on. Or more just like, we're, I feel like we're just so combative towards each other because yeah. we don't, you know, kind of why we wanted to have this part too as just itself is like, because the conversations that people are having, you know, they're over social media, they're short, they're, they're not given the space to actually freely express their thoughts and have the time to kind of explain why that matters to them or like give their experience as to why that's their framework. So I feel like a lot of people are just going back and forth and like disagreeing with each other and not 
giving the opportunity to have that like open mindset to hear someone out as to why they think that way you can still disagree with them afterwards but at least like you know if you take the effort to understand why they think that way I don't feel like it's as aggressive of conversations or like combative and so I think it's you know such a such a cool thing that we like you said that we do have the opportunity to like sit down and talk about topics that you know may be sensitive or may be hard to navigate and without repercussions or without like you know leaving after this and being like oh gosh like who from the government was listening and now they come and hurt us or whatever it may be there are still countries like today where if we were over there and we had this conversation I could say you're wrong and now you're wrong they're witches (laughs) (laughs) burn them at the stake (laughs) no exactly right I could just say you're wrong and because I'm a man because you are women I, I am right Mm-hmm. Right? That's, of course, fucking nonsense. Toxic. To- yeah. <laughs> toxic. <laughs> that was toxic. Yeah. Uh, well, that was easy. No, okay. Staples. Okay. Anyway. Remove five points from Slytherin. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah. But because we get to live in a country like this, we can have an open conversation. And you're right. Um, there's no one from, not yet anyway, there's no one from the government who's going to snap, come in and snatch one of us out. We'll see. We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> After this. Yeah. I feel like my FBI agent... It's just, I have a lost cause to them. <laughs> I'm on so many different watches. Like, it's, yeah. Anyway, um, I don't know. I think, again, if you just take it generally and you kind of zoom this out, how do I put this? I think it's good these conversations are happening. I think it's good we have the ability to have them. I think in some public spaces, it's being, again, I think people are rushing to conclusions. Mm-hmm. We saw that with the Me Too movement, right? It has its place. Like the Harvey Weinsteins of the world, they deserve to be fucking buried under the, under the fucking prison. Fuck those people, right? Again, toxic masculinity. Men using their, their power and using their masculine advantage in a predatory way. And that is rife in Hollywood. Everyone's known it. And finally, we've come to a place in the recent decade that can be called out and justice may or may not be served, right? But then on the flip side of that, there were a lot of people that got in trouble based off of accusations that just never got followed up on. The interesting one, to me, was Danny Masterson. That is, the I think, the perfect example of the Me Too movement working properly because he got brought up, damn. Okay. What was Sorry, that? That was a dog that I'm watching. Your resident Godzilla? Yeah. Um, no, so in Danny Masterson's uh, incident, for people listening to know that is, he played Hyde on that 70s show. Um, in 2020, I think, he got charged with uh, three separate sexual assault and rape cases. And those three instances, what I think it's because of like mismatched information and, or evidence and alibis or whatever, it got dismissed. Like, okay, well, there's no way this happened. These are false accusations. But then those same three girls came back. Well, I would imagine they like turned right around and did it, but because of the legal process, how long it takes. So two and a half years later, which is like six months ago or three months ago or something like that, they come back and they're like, no, this shit fucking happened. Here are three more instances, and they're like, oh, shit, yeah, these three add up. So it makes you think, like, okay, 
were is it more likely that the first three were false accusations or is it more likely that they did their lawyering wrong and there's multiple instances of this guy just being a serial abuser right mm-hmm. so that is the justice system and a societal movement working in in tangent perfectly I feel like under any other circumstance, like if you had switched out judges, if you had switched out lawyers, it would have fucked up again, right? Because then what that obviously tells me is uh, the judge went into that case said as they, I don't know if it was a man or a woman, but they went into that case as they should have and said, this guy has been charged on three other cases. With, I'm fairly certain with those women, but got charged with these cases, they got dropped. I'm not going to let the influence of that outcome, or the, I'm going to let that outcome influence this outcome. Mm-hmm. It turns out the motherfucker actually did it. Mm-hmm. And same thing with Weinstein. He should be fucking thrown into prison and put away because he used his advantage as a man with the fame and power, power, but just the fame that he had to prey on women, which is fucking wrong. Um... That I think, and then like the cancel culture is another one, right? Um, I think people like Matt Rife right now is tr- people are trying to cancel him because of the joke that he made. Which, frankly, I thought the joke was funny. A lot of other people thought the joke was funny. Do you know what the joke is? I have no idea. Okay, so Matt Rife recently came out with a Netflix special. It was okay, not the it best. It wasn't his best work. But it was fine. But he made a joke about a waitress. I'm, I'm going to butcher it, but basically it was like a waitress that has a black eye that wins, that was his waitress, him and his buddy's waitress. And then he made a joke about like, uh, like maybe she should have stayed in the kitchen or something like that, or maybe she should have, like whatever. It was a joke. And it was actually pretty funny. Again, I'm butchering it, but he actually made a pretty funny joke out of it. The cancel culture mob comes after him and he doubles down. <laughs> He puts on his on his story and he goes, "I apologize for the joke. Uh, if you'd like to list your grievances, uh, grievances, please please press the link here. If you click the link, it takes you to a website where you can buy a special needs helmet." <laughs> I think that's hilarious. Now, because here's the thing, right? And the, re- and the reason I bring this up to to frame it properly is. Um, why am I bringing this up? Cancel culture, uh, overstepping, and rushing to conclusion. There we go. People are assuming that he's going into that joke with malice, right? With the wrong intentions. And No, it's a fucking Netflix comedy special. And those people who went to the show, I guarantee the people trying to cancel him didn't go to the show, right? Because if you, in my opinion, if you're engaging with comedy in any way, you have to go in with like a certain amount of uh, prerequisites in your own brain, right? Where it's like, hey... I'm probably going to hear something I don't like. I'm probably going to get offended. But guess what? This guy or this girl, whoever, is getting on stage with the intention to make me laugh. Maybe we don't have the same sense of humor, 100%. Maybe we don't have the same interests, 100%. But either way, this person has, especially if it's like a Matt Wright thing, right? You see how big he is now? He thinks that he has worked on his material well enough to where he can make most people laugh. And he does make most people laugh. If you if you say a joke and out of the 5,000 people in attendance, 4,982 laugh at it, but then that differential I just made up and can't figure out if I suck at math, whatever that differential is, if they don't laugh at it, that's a swing and a hit. 
that you knock that out of the park. Good job. Mm-hmm. Who cares if they don't laugh? And who cares why they're not laughing, right? Um, but again, I think, and granted, the canceling is not going to work because, again, um, I think the mass cancellations and the mass Me Too stuff kind of brought all that discredit upon it, right? Um, but the fact that we can have those type of conversations, those type of social movements, and actually have them affect things, that's very much an American thing, for better or worse, right? It's a very American thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's really hard. It's it's hard being a comedian, especially when you go into those muddy waters, because it's like some jokes are maybe not the best thing to say, especially if you have someone that has really gotten beaten by whoever it is. You know, that's not... Yeah funny to them or should be you know but like yeah no and, and you're right like there are some uh material that or there are some subjects that will hit other people certain ways and you but the thing about with comedians and this might sound very cold but like that's not really their responsibility and they can't concern themselves with that right because if they're concerning themselves with and i think this is people like i think these are people that this applies to people that are going into a creative endeavor with the intention of making people feel joy, feel some sort of positive emotion, right? Because if you want to just, if you want to go and do comedy and you finally have the opportunity to get in front of thousands of people, but if you go up there with some hateful shit, you're no longer doing a stand-up routine. You're trying to run a rally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You're trying to be like legitimately hateful. And that's not common. You get stuff down before then anyway. Um, but you're right. There are people that certain topics, they are just not going to uh, land with them. It's just a topic that no matter what happens, whether it's whatever work that that own person does to get over, to get, be, not get over, but they're able to manage their feelings properly. Like we were saying earlier, they can manage their feelings properly. When they do hear that, they don't freak out, Right. Or they just don't care to, or whatever it is, whatever those variables are, it's just always going to uh, sit poorly with them. It's always, I hate saying the word trigger, because again, trigger is another word that has lost all fucking meaning, right? And it's gotten conflated with so much negative stuff and so much like unnecessary shame. You know what I mean? That it's like, well, no, being triggered by something is a real thing for a lot of people. And it shouldn't be seen as like, oh, they get triggered easily. They're da, da, da. like, no, maybe not, bitch. Like, maybe there's more of that, right? Maybe there's more breadcrumbs to why that's happening. But, you know, like I was saying a little bit earlier, I think if comedians get too, get too concerned, and that's why, like, their version of public speaking is so different than, like, a politician. Or it's so different than, um, yeah, well, let's say, let's say public, let's say uh, outward speaking, and you can be as intimate as a one-on-one thing with a therapist or a psychologist or you can spam that out to a politician right anywhere in the middle i think the comedian part of it is so hyper specific because they're going into it with the outlook of i'm here to entertain i'm here to bring pleasure i'm here to bring joy to these people's lives now i'm going to be uh kind of flirting with danger here and there i'm going to be stepping on a line seeing if i can cross it or not what is this crowd like what do they not like and if, but if they get overly concerned with censors, with self-censorship, or not offending people, then the best material is just not going to come. It's not going to come. Like Some of the best stand-up routines in the world are hyper-offensive. But because of how good of a performer, a writer, an auteur these people are, they turn it into um, legendary bits. Like uh, the, the one that comes to mind every time is uh, the Chris Rock bit about um, black people hating, insert the N-word, right? He has a bit about that, for like, and it's like an eight-minute bit, and it's fucking hilarious. 
But if someone else tells that joke, probably be pretty bad, right? Because they're not Chris Rock. They didn't write that. They didn't live that experience. They didn't. Uh, I think I forget what the actual stand-up like special was called, but he has a bit about that. Basically, all of Eddie Murphy's delirious, offensive as shit, but it's hilarious. Richard Pryor, I think two of his comedy albums have the N-word in the title. <laughs> yeah, but he's regarded as one of the greatest of all time, right? It's because these people live through offensive experiences, but now they're able to put it in a comedic spin and deliver it to an audience in their own unique way, and it happens to be entertaining. I brought him up in the last episode we did, but uh, Robert Gibson, local comedian here, I asked him that basically what we're talking about, right? It's like, when does a bit become offensive? Like, when does it become, you know, like, because I think, because like, in my mind, people generally have a bullshit meter, right? It's like, okay, this person lying to me. Is this person, like, trying to be mean? Are they trying to make a joke, but they just suck at it? Like, you know what I mean? They have a way to gauge these things. Um, but when does it turn from okay, I'm trying a bit to, okay, this guy's being offensive. And generally speaking, and where does that lie? And uh, the simplest way that he put it was like, is it funny? Like, do you get the funny um, expression? Do you get the uh, funny like vibe off of it? Like, is there, a com- is there any comedic anything going on here? Because if you just go up there and you say something into a microphone, it's like, whoa, does he actually believe that? Like, oh, shit. Like, I made a joke about Asian drivers, uh, like, two weeks ago, I think. Like, three people laugh, but it's a, it's a rough joke that I'm still working on. Um, but a lot of the room got offended. So I look at that, and I'm like, okay, was my expression off? Was my tone of voice off? Was my body language off? Because you never want to get up there and just say, like, you know, like just say things, you want to express it, you want to act it out. Because again, if you took any modern, like Netflix special, HBO special, and you just wrote it down as a transcript, <laughs> that person's going to jail. Like they're going to social jail forever. But then if you like see it, like even with like Matt Rife with his special, um, when he makes that joke, he like grabs the mic and as he, as he says, he doesn't go, she should have been in the kitchen. No, he was like, well, maybe she should have been in the kitchen. That wouldn't have happened. Like, they make, he tries to make it playful, right? Mm-hmm. And I also understand that even with people who have lived that experience or maybe I'm going with the subject matter is they're going to get offended no matter what. There's also going to be some really offensive stuff that they don't find as offensive that they're going to laugh their ass off at. Whether it's like racial stuff, whether it's like money-based stuff, whether it's like relationship, whatever it is, they're still going to laugh at it. So, yeah, I just, because I understand the concern of people, but, I mean, it's not like he got up there and just did some really like outright, like just horrible stuff. And I think that, again, if, if uh, like it happened, it happened, like, yeah, that's a regular thing. I pop and I crack and, yeah, I'm a 26-year-old in a 48-year-old body. Like, yeah, I'm about as flexible as a piece of wood. Like... <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, what was I going to say? Uh, there was something I was going to say about cancellations and about writing fucking... Oh, uh, Tony Hinchcliffe. One of my favorite comedians right now. Uh, he does Kill Tony. and it's That's ama- a funny thing. Yeah. He's an amazing comedian. But he's known for being a roast slash insult comedian. Right, he just says horribly offensive things, right? Horribly offensive things, but he's fucking hilarious most of the time. Well, and this kind of falls into like the whole like why if you go to any major comedy show today, they lock your phone up. 
Like, they don't even allow you to bring your, like, what they do typically is they'll either have lockers for you or mostly what they do now is they hand out these bags where you put your phone in and you zip it up and then it locks, excuse me, it locks magnetically through a Bluetooth system. Hmm. And you're not able to touch your phone on the, on the, on the touchscreen. You can't touch it through the bag. And the reason for that is they don't want people recording comedians taking it out of context on up on the internet. Happened to Hinchcliffe in 21. Uh, he was doing a set. Just a regular, like, with some regular, like, working out some jokes. And uh, he was following somebody that had been on the road with him, this Asian comedian named Peng Dang, who is now ostracized in the comedy community at that level. Like, nobody wants to work with him. Hardly anybody works with him. Um, and his comment section, this happened two years ago. His comment section, even today, is just shat on through, like, Tony Hinchcliffe stuff. And basically what happened is he had somebody in the crowd record Tony Hinchcliffe saying some offensive shit. They threw up on the internet. And there was some weird stuff where, like, it made it... Because he was saying some offensive things about Asians. Um, but it was all playful. It was all funny. Well, it made, it, well, there's a conspiracy about it that, like, this Asian comedian sent it over to the Chinese government because the Chinese government tweeted it out before the comedian did. It's like, how the fuck did they get it? They didn't, you know, it's this whole thing. But, like, there's a, cult, uh, there's a culture of it now where people kind of are starting to accept it. But, again, if you want to wrap this around a toxic masculinity, you know... I understand why some people can see, oh, because I guess the uh, major criticism online and I guess the major like conversation online is like, uh, you know, male comedians can shit on women com- or on women in their jokes and it's funny, but like people get mad at women for doing it too much, like doing too much and anti-male comedy because now they're seen as woke. Now they're seen as hyper-feminist or like anti-man. Which I don't agree with, right? If it's funny, it's funny. Like, this is a big... And I think it's always going to be there. Uh, criticism online of female comedians making too many sex jokes. In the right context, I think it's fucking hilarious. Sorry. I, I don't know why. It just tickles my fucking funny bone when I see a woman make horrendous sex jokes. Just the most offensive. If it's funny, the fact that they're a woman makes it ten times funnier to me. I don't know why. Like, for instance, when you went to the open mic on Wednesday, mm-hmm. when Kelly went up, mm-hmm. and she started saying dicks and penises <laughs> and all that type. Like, she's so unassuming, and she's so like... tiny. And she's tiny, and like, ah, stand-up comedy is my first time trying. And then she just lets out some fucking offensive shit. It does it not make it funnier. So I don't... I can't blame female comedians for going and doing that. Because if you do it right, and you play to your personality, which is a huge skill... That means you know how to write for your own brain. I think, I think people really undervalue. That's a completely takes a whole different direction. I think people undervalue the skill that it takes to write. Write and to write. To write. That's a skill. Then you're writing something hilarious or funny. Say moderately funny. Okay. Then you have an understanding of humor. You have an understanding of levity. You have an understanding of um, quick dopamine release. Mm-hmm. Now you're writing... For yourself. That means you understand your own brain enough and your own personality enough to be able to take a bit of it, put it on paper, refine it, make it funny, well articulated, and then you have the ability to go up there and express that. Mm-hmm. All of that is happening, but you're just, you're just writing dumb jokes, right? So then to see her get up there and talk about that, it's, it. she knows a personality, she played to it. Yeah. I think it's fucking hilarious. But anyway, I mean, it can be derail out the comedy, but. Yeah, she did a really good job. Yeah, she did. But again, about toxic masculinity, it's like, okay, um, are they using their, again, are they using their, uh, are they using their 
masculine advantage or position or whatever for predatory advantage. I think, yeah, as long if it falls under that realm, I think you start the conversation there. But again, like your boyfriend's ex-military, your husband's a firefighter, traditionally masculine shit. Unless they're out there doing some nasty stuff, that's not toxic. Mm-hmm. A police officer shooting somebody because they're fucking, you know, displaying violence against others, that's not toxic. That type of shit. You know what I mean? Do, do you guys, I think here's, here's a good question. Do you guys think the general conversation around toxic masculinity is going in a positive or negative direction? What do you mean? So, you have the obvious examples that we've already brought up about like people like that are sexual predators, that are pedophiles, that are that type of shit. They also tend to be men because men have a higher sex drive and we tend to, like our, I think most of the sexual crimes are men, right? So that's the negative of it, obviously. And those people, they're not really in the conversation. Like they're fucking evil, they're bad. We should fucking cancel and imprison the people, right? Not just take away their Twitter profiles. Um, I'm sorry, X profiles. Um, but like, just generally, like, like I feel like on the internet right now, and it's getting aimed at um, impressionable young women. This idea that men ain't shit, and that you need to go get your own money. You can't rely on a man. You can't rely on anybody else. It's wrong to rely on a man. It's wrong to allow a man to have any sort of authority or power over you or next to you even. You need to be better than all men. And just that uh, that a man, the number one thing he can provide you is money. And if it's not money, go do better. That type of shit. I'm assuming you guys have seen that mm-hmm. all over the internet, right? Mm-hmm. That type of stuff. That's what comes to mind like in an immediate way. Because I think all of that feeds into like at least reacting to this idea of toxic masculinity. Yeah. I feel like it all comes down to just balance because I think nowadays it's like more about a partnership rather than the man kind of carries the relationship and or whatever it, that traditional belief system is. You know, I think it just all comes down to having a balanced relationship and you guys working together to have a successful life and whether sometimes it's the woman making all the money. You know, I think... It's fine either way, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. What are your thoughts? I mean, I feel like social media definitely, you know, there is an algorithm. Like you watch one, what are the, the like whatever podcast clip, like you watch one of those and then all of a sudden now your whole fucking Instagram feed is yeah, all I'm, towards I'm, women shitting I'm, on men and stuff. And I'm so it's a real like, issue with those podcasts. Yeah, I don't like that. That guy, I don't like the host of that. He's very... I don't know. He seems. I don't know. But um. No, no, I, no. What is he? Because he's. An, I forget his name, but he's like a bigger part of that community. What, what impression do you get off of media in that format, where it's the male host, maybe a male co-host, whatever, and then just a bunch of OnlyFans girls, and then now they get to represent women. Yeah, I think it's a strategic. Yeah. Plan thing. I don't know. Um, but I mean, yeah, like. With social media, I feel like you watch one video of that, and then now all of a sudden, the you know little FBI people managing your social media, like, <laughs> oh, okay, let's just feed all these other types of videos where women shit on men, you know. And I think, like you said, 
you know, with that type of podcast where they deliberately, in, well, you know, I'm assuming it's deliberate. I don't really know. I don't know these people, but where they deliberately invite, you know, women of all the same mindset on. And then, you know, that gets blown up on social media. And that's, you know, like I, from the clips, I mean, I don't follow the whatever podcast, but like from the clips I've seen on social media that like pop up, it's always, you know, with the rare, no, actually, I don't think, sorry, my train of thought's kind of going all over the place right now. Um, You know, it is, like you said, it is a lot of like OnlyFan women on there. And it's frustrating because, like you said, I feel like when I watch those, it's like, why are, why don't they have a more diverse panel of women to have that kind of conversation that not necessarily debate, but to have like different opinions on the topics that they're asking. So you can get a full rounded experience of not all women think that way. You know, not all women want a man to, um, or want to be, you know, the breadwinners in a relationship, you know, like some, some women still have that like more so traditional value or not value, but outlook of like, oh no, I want, you know, to be in the more like submissive role, I guess. And I don't mean submissive in a negative way. I think that's another term that's been used out of context and associated with a negative outcome, you know, because like the way that I view submissiveness that's a word, in women and men relationships is it's because you trust your partner so much to trust their opinions, to trust their guidance, that you submit to, you know, what they think is best because you've developed that relationship. You have that partnership where your partner knows you so well and you know your partner so well that sometimes they can know you better or they can know what's better for you. And that's not a toxic thing. That's not an unhealthy thing. If it's a relationship that is supportive and works. You know, I think it becomes toxic when it's more like a man is like, you know what, I think this is what's best for you. And it's like you said, it's kind of using their own masculine power or authority or something to either change your train of thought into a direction that you don't want it to go or they like gaslight you into changing your own perspective. And so essentially yes I think what I personally see on social media but once again it might just be the algorithm just showing me what it thinks I want to see I do think social media is painting men in general to be something feared avoided you know whatever it may be and you know and it sucks because I feel like there are a lot of really great men out there you know that do have a lot to offer that do have like provide a lot of value that do have a lot of support and stuff but it's just like we're focusing so much on the few that are doing the extreme and then we're grouping all men into that category and so then like you know it was a really frustrating time when all that like cancel culture of like first responders was going on because like you know, my husband's a first responder, my brother-in-law's a first responder, my sister's a first responder, like, my dad was a first responder, you know, I come from a very big, like, military and fire family, and so, like, knowing how great of people they are, and the fact that social media, like, if they just hear that they're a first responder, is going to be like, oh, well, you know, why would you date someone like that, or why would you be associated, or, you know, all this stuff, it's like, why, why would your sister subject herself to be in an environment full of, like, men like that you know and it's like to me it's frustrating because they don't they're so quick to once again react to what they're seeing and hearing that they don't take a second to be like well maybe this person you know wants to be a first responder because they value others lives over their own you know or maybe whatever and yeah it sucks that there's a few black sheep in every you know job career that you go into that taints it for everybody else and 
causes all these people to get grouped into it, you know, and so I feel like that's kind of what I'm personally seeing, at least with, like, the, the, um, like, the man council culture, I guess, is, you know, we've had a few, a few select guys that, you know, are, like, do something wrong or whatever, and, and so now all the women are kind of grouping men into this general thing, or, you know, I also kind of feel like we've taken, and this may not come across great, but I feel like from what I've seen that we've kind of taken the act of feminism to an extreme side where it's now like we were wronged by men for so many years and now it's our turn to wrong men and it's our turn to take that power away from them. And that's not, in my eyes at least, that's not feminism, that's not equality. And that's just gonna keep this vicious cycle going back and forth where men are eventually gonna react to all the stuff that women have been doing and try and get that power back or roll back or you know insert whatever adjective you want and then it's going to be belittling to women and then women are going to rise up again and it's going to keep going back and forth instead of finding that nice balance of like hey it's okay if your partner you know if your partner makes more money than you do that's okay you know if that's what works for you guys or if you do just want to be a stay at I shouldn't say just if you do want to be a stay at home wife or a stay-at-home mom you know if that works for you guys and that's what brings you personal happiness and fulfillment and brings your relationship that then cool you know or vice versa like if you're a woman and you want to be the breadwinner and it works in your relationship then cool whatever I think what we need to stop doing as society is giving our opinion on other people's relationship when it when it doesn't affect us and it doesn't matter to us so that's that's my two cents that's my rant that was extremely yeah. well articulated. Mm -hmm. Oh, thank you. That was really good. Thanks. I agree. That was very well articulated. Yeah, I... That was a lot to unpack there. Okay, so <laughs> I'll start with submission because you're right. It's not lowering yourself. as It's an extreme trust, mm -hmm. right? Because just because... the woman decides to be a stay-at-home mother and a housewife. Like, okay, so, in my opinion, and again, I'm going to say this before I say my point, I am 100% all for women having careers and jobs and making their own money and living their fucking lives. Do what you want to do. However, I think that because women are the, out of the two genders available, I think that because women are the ones that are privileged enough to have children, and this is coming from a guy that I don't even know if I want kids. I see the value in it. I just don't know if it's for me, personally, right? This is where I am in my life right now. Who I am, I know I'm not mature enough to be a dad. That That's a really important thing to highlight. Yeah. That being said, I, I am not married. I do not have kids. However, I see the value. And I would take what you said about that a step further and I would say there is no job on this planet that could ever be more important or replace conceiving, birthing, having, and raising kids. I genuinely believe that. There is nothing on this planet. There is no position. There is no occupation. There is no man-made objective that goes that should be put ahead of children now there are i know a lot of women i mean my my aunt who i'm probably close with my family 
she put her career first and she loves her career, right? Does she have some regrets about not having kids? I'm not sure, to be honest. I haven't had that conversation. She, she, she views me as her kid, for sure, I, and she's pretty much like my pseudo-mother, for sure. Um, <clears throat> but um, I know, personally, like women my age, a little bit older, that never had kids, that, that don't have kids right now, they're focused on their careers, and they're happier for it. And they recognize it in the same way that I do, that I'm not in the spot to have kids, they're not in the spot to have kids, right? But I understand, I don't under, I can never understand it, but I can do my best to empathize because I'm not a woman, right? To empathize with the situation that women are also burdened with, which is you guys have a biological clock. If you don't have kids by a certain age, there are medical things that happen, mm-hmm. right? And um, that's just the unfortunate like way of things, I guess. I don't know. I don't mean to belittle that at all. I don't, I don't want to, but um, I understand the biological imperative that is put on you guys. Um, but yeah, I personally, I don't think I would put any position above that, like above the ability and the privilege that you guys have to have kids. Because you're literally not only are you continuing the human race, but you now have the ability to take all of the mistakes you've made and all the achievements you've accomplished, diffuse that down and bring it into a kid and hope that it works out for the best, right? In theory, mm-hmm. right? In theory, that's what you're doing when you have kids and raising kids. Um, and then when you go into your conversation about submission, Mike, I feel like the word submission is only used because the the idea of a man submit or a woman submitting to her husband came from Judeo-Christian writings, right? If that's why that's in the public conversation, like the specific term of submission, right? I think that's where it started, and it gets used more now because they're using that negative term that you were talking about. But you're right. It's not negative. It is, the way I see it, is it's an extreme trust from the woman to the man that, hey, I am going to subvert my own money-making ability to have kids and raise a household for both of us so that you can focus all your time and ability, like working time and ability, out to making enough money to make this happen. You want this to happen, go make money, right? It's the, it's the, it's the very symbiotic relationship between the two, mm-hmm. right? Um, because I'd imagine that there is a significant amount of stress that is put on a, on a woman who's trying to raise a family trying to raise a household, but there's hardly any money to do it. Mm-hmm. A lot of fucking stress, right? Nothing has been done before, and because it, it has been, and will continue to be done, right? But, and that is why, quite frankly, like, like you certainly have like the extreme of it where it's like gold diggers, but I understand completely why, whether you want to have a career or not, but I understand completely why women in general are like, yeah, I prefer to have a guy that makes a bit more money or has makes this amount of money so that we can live or this amount of money so that we can, you know what I mean? Like, I understand that. I, I feel the same exact way mm-hmm. because you're, because, because I think even with the ability to have these conversations, I think there are still biological imperatives and there are still evolutionary traits that are deep within the DNA of men and women. I believe that, Right. Men have the proclivity to provide and to protect and to, um, uh, yeah, to provide basically the standards for a good household to be built. 
And then I think women have a proclivity to look for the best possible partner that nets that outcome. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, you don't see well-made women, and that's regard, like disregarding money, just well-put-together women going after the 45-year-old McDonald's worker. Sorry. It just it doesn't fucking happen, generally speaking. The women see that guy as a loser. Like, it just That's just how it is in society right now. And I think it's hard to argue against that. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm not saying it's a good thing. I'm saying it is a thing. Women tend to go after the the most um, the most they go after the male that they are obviously attracted to, but they are more likely to provide them with the quality of life that they want than other men they've met in that category. I guess. Does that, does that make sense? Am I, am I wording that properly? I, I hope I'm wording that properly. I think so. It's just kind of like shitty because like McDonald's employees, like they actually make yeah. pretty good money but, and they're like tuition shit now. Yeah, no, no, no. But, but like it's always frustrating. Like I was, you know, when I worked in the hospitals, I would like drive past like McDonald's and it'd be like 15 bucks starting hour plus like you get paid tuition. I'm like, what the fuck okay, am yeah, I doing but, at the Okay, but well, you got to also understand that like $15 an hour today is like $7 an hour before yeah. Monday. Yeah. You know what no, I mean? I'm just saying though, like that. I yeah. just think that's frustrating. Yeah. That, no, like, yeah. yeah. And I feel like in general, it all comes down to who the person is. Yeah, maybe someone, and it's all dependent on like that person. Maybe they grew yeah. up in a situation where they didn't have a lot of money growing yeah. up, and it's like if you're a woman that does want to have a man that had, makes more money, totally fine. You right. know, if you're with someone that you're, and maybe they are like. And I'm not. With, I'm not even alluding to millionaires either. I'm just saying men that are generally better off financially. Mm-hmm. More stable financially. Yeah, yeah. We want I'm stable home. daddies, not sugar daddies. No, no. I want that, a stable person that is, no, that is a good person at heart and they have good moral values. And I don't, I mean, me personally, I don't go for like right. money, but well, okay, I'm but not speaking you, for all women. But you put that perfectly. Thank you. For, you just summarized everything I was trying to say. Stability. That is the number one of the number one lessons that I learned when my last relationship ended. Mm-hmm. My aunt taught me that. I explained to her what happened, and she goes, yeah, you made a lot of bad decisions, but you know where you really fucked up? You didn't make her feel stable. Mm-hmm. And I was like, fuck. Thanks, <laughs> I was like, fuck, she's right. And she broke that down for me. She was like, you, you all started out just fine, but at the end of it, you did not provide her with a stable relationship, and when you all lived together in a stable household because you're immature, you fucked that up. Mm-hmm. And here's why she acted the way she did. Here's why you reacted the way you did, and it became bad, and now you're no longer together. Mm-hmm. That's how that happened. Stability. Women look for stability. Yeah. And what is one of the biggest indicators of stability, meaning you have roof over your head, food in your stomach? Money. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you don't want to be with somebody that's fucking like, you know, toxic, abusive, whatever, right? But then, at the same time, that shows you the power of it. How many stories do you hear um, of women that stay with a guy? Because they have money, because they have a home, because they like, you know, it's removing kids from the situation. If they leave, where do they go? Right? And I'm not saying, you know, and that's obviously a very horrible situation, but that just shows you the power of money mm-hmm. and the power of, in that, in that instance, it's perceived stability. Mm-hmm. Right? But I don't know. I mean, and then going back to extreme accountability. I think, I think life 
I think it's easier to digest mentally, makes your life harder in the immediate, but I think it's better. I think men are better off saying, hey, we live in a hyper-competitive world with hyper-competitive people, and you can either sit on your ass, do the bare minimum, and you'll try to get by, or you can do the best that you can, be the best possible man that you can possibly be. And, and then one of the best pieces of advice I've ever heard, I think Rogan said it. He was like, if you want whatever your idea of a, the best-case scenario partner is, you should probably be the person you think that person wants to be with. And the better caliber, the higher caliber of person you want, the harder you're going to have to work. Mm-hmm. That's just a fact. Like, would, like, from the short time that I've known the both of you, right, it's very obvious to me that and this is shown by the way you guys act and it's shown by the type of person you two are both with, right? Could you be with your respective partners if they were lazy? Like, just intrinsically lazy. Didn't do a whole lot. No. Just smoked weed, played video games, went to their 9-to-5 job. They had money. They have money. They have, like, in between 45 to 70K a year, which is the average right now, right? They have money. They have. They own a house. They have a car. They have a nice dog. You know? They have a nice dog. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, but they're lazy. They don't do a whole lot outside of no. the 9-to-5. Could no. you be with somebody like that? No. Because you have to match someone that matches yeah. your own work exactly. ethic. So what, to... that? So, so what does that mean, right? That means... To get a woman in your guys' caliber, a man has to work harder than the average guy, right? That's when you add in the hyper-competitiveness hyper of not only the dating market right now, but the world. You want a high-paying job? You got to work hard for it, mm-hmm. right? You want cool opportunities? You have to put yourself out there, but then work hard for it, mm-hmm. right? You have, like The most marketable skill right now outside of networking is the ability to demonstrate your, hard, your, your work ethic. Right, your ability to even if you don't have a lot right now, to show yourself as a good investment. Mm-hmm. Like, hey, this stock is gonna rise if you put a couple bucks into it now. Right, your couple of dollars now are gonna turn to a hundred thousand here in a couple of years. Just watch the process happen. But I'm showing you the potential for that now. Right, and then, and we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but the the um, people that get brought up saying, getting taught that you know you. Everything that happened to you is not your fault. It's their fault. You can put the blame on some other people. You put the blame on the other and you can you go from there. They take that into the dating world. And now, so imagine that mindset today. The guys between the ages of 14 and 20, say 10 years. So 14 and 24 years old. They're on social media a lot. And now the dating market marketplace has been globalized effectively, right? It just has been. Now, granted, I don't know what the average DM you know, inbox looks like for a woman today, but I'd imagine it's a lot different than, like, she has a lot more opportunities now than she would have 10 years ago. Because anyone can contact you at any time ever. All they have to do is find your profile. Mm-hmm. That is all you have to do. Um, like, maybe this is a bit extreme, but I, like, I've had a couple of female friends that have, like, shown me, like, DMs they'll get from, like, well, millionaires. You know what I mean? Or, like, really well-off people. Maybe they're not millionaires, but, like, hey, I want to, like, the, hey, I want to fly you out. That type of shit, right? That happens all the time. So then it's like, okay, so what if you're a regular guy in a regular city? I'm going to speak from personal experience, you know, and you're having to compete against that as a single man. It's like, all right, do I overly concern myself with that? And I say, oh, well, these these fucking women go for these guys and their DMs. I'm right here. You're a fucking... uh." Yeah, I know guys with that mindset. And it's sad. It's like, okay, dude, that guy's got you beat financially. What else can you? Oh well, you know. You know what I mean. It's like okay, you better be awesome in other places while working because don't you want more money for yourself? Isn't it cool to do cool shit? Mm -hmm. Like, 
I mean, it's funny because that's not funny, but uh, it's sad now because I used to have very inexpensive tastes. Mm-hmm. Comic books used to be cheap, dude. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it used to be cheap. Now I spend a lot of money on it. So I'm like, okay, I now have moderate to expensive taste in both entertainment and just like things I like to do in general. Mm-hmm. Podcasting is not cheap. Nope, nope. You guys know this now. Yep. Right? <laughs> so it's like okay again the stream of accountability you can either look at that and say fuck pity me my life sucks whatever or it's hey you can get up you can fucking go to work better yourself in whichever way you think is the right route because there's a million different ways to live life and then go do that mm-hmm. yeah so well we had a lot of different paths of the conversation today yes we did yeah I think it was really good yeah so we asked you this last time but um, yes. kind of a different question. Um, what's one thing you did this week to embody your health? <laughs> this is also like, this is a bad week to ask that on. This is the first week in a while I didn't go to the gym at all because I've been busy as fuck. But there are other routes, yeah. other routes of health. Yeah, yeah. So I, we talked about it a little bit last time towards the end, but it, I think it's how do I protect my own mental health? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And this week has been interesting for a lot of different reasons, but. Um, I think it's continuing, regardless of what happens in my personal life, regardless of what happens, that does not take away, how do I word this? It does not take away my ability to do the things that I enjoy. Whether it's things that I enjoy because I like doing them, or it's things that I enjoy because I'm making them a career, right? Like, yeah, just regardless of what happens, I stay on my own path. Mm -hmm. Right, because I mean, you, you see it all the time. You hear about it all the time, where it's like people they get in relationships or they are associated with people, and it takes away from like what they're working on at the time, and they never go back to it. Oh, uh, they're making, they were getting into woodworking, and they kind of just gave it up for this, that, and the other. They were doing this or whatever abstract thing they're doing on the side, and they really love doing that, regardless of financial gain. Mm-hmm. They're doing it, and now, magically, because a thing left or came came into their life. Uh, they don't have time for it, or they don't have the, the like the drive to do it anymore. You know, just as long as I maintain doing the things that I enjoy doing, taking time for myself, and not letting like uh, external things really throw me off course. And that's what I've done this week, for sure. Beautiful. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you for coming on again. <laughs> Those are really quiet goal snaps. That's it. <laughs> <laughs>